Isaiah, the 40th chapter is where we'll begin this morning. I want to talk to you about a tremendous distinction between what you hear out in the religious world and what you hear in the Primitive Baptist Church. And it's called Big God Theology. Big God Theology. And I wish I could take credit for that term, but I cannot. Uh, I think Brother David Crawford throws these terms out at me just to snag me like a fish because he knows that I'll preach about it. <laughs> but that's a term that I've heard Brother David use several times. Big God Theology. Now, I'm just telling you, what I'm going to put before you here. I don't want you to go out and, and check it out because you might travel around the world and come back and find that I'm telling you the truth. Just believe me. You're not going to hear about big God theology out in the religious world. You're going to hear about a little God who can't do anything until you do something. But I want to talk to you about big God theology. And we're going to start in Isaiah, the 40th chapter. This teaches big God theology. And that's the kind of God you want to believe in. It makes you very small and it makes him very big. And if it unnerves you just a, just a little bit, that's okay. That is the intent of what God wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is to unnerve us just a little bit. So we'll see just how insignificant we are in and of ourselves. But praise be to God, don't lose yourself in that because God has made you important because of his covenant. Let's read in verse 9 of Isaiah 40. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. As we talk about big God theology here this morning, that's what I want to do with you. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and His arms shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arms and carry them in His bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. You see, when you get yourself lost in the big God theology, you come back to a verse like that where the Lord understands you can lose yourself because He's so big and He's so great, He can never think anything about me. But this big God that you serve that sits on the throne of the universe is like a shepherd who gathers the sheep in his arms. And then he goes on back to verse 12, presenting big God theology. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? That's how big your God is. He can measure the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. That little bitty section right there. He meted out heaven with a span. The span would just be the length of, of the arm. That would be a span. That's how God meted out the heavens. That's how big your God is. He weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. If you can get the visual there, you could, it's almost like the Lord sitting in His laboratory, weighing out Mount Everest, weighing out the, the, the Colorado Rockies, weighing out all of these different things. He says, well, that, that's sufficient. I'll put that where I want it. Who had directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being His counselor hath taught Him. With whom took He counsel? And who instructed Him? And taught Him in the path of judgment? And taught Him in knowledge? And showed to Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. That includes the United States of America. That also included Israel in the days that this was written. They are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn in sacrifice to the Lord, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. In other words, 
If you see this big God, there is nothing that could be presented to Him that would satisfy a sacrifice for Him. He's so great. All nations before Him are as nothing. And they are counted to Him less than nothing and vanity. This is the Word of God speaking to us about big God theology. This is the God that you want to believe in. A God that has the attitude of the nations are counted as nothing. It does not mean that the nations are not important to Him. You can read in the Word of God where the Lord set up the system of nations originally. The Lord divided the languages to nations. So it's a construct of the Lord, the nations themselves. And when compared to the Lord and how big He is, they are considered nothing before Him. Now, if the nations are considered nothing, and you think about how many citizens are in a nation, maybe the United States of America, how many, what the population is, and he says the nations are less than nothing, well, you could fall off into an abyss and think, well, I'm just one little citizen of this nation that is less than nothing, so I'm beyond less than nothing. But don't forget, our God is great, but our God is also good. He is good, and He loves you as His sheep. This is big God theology that teaches us God is beyond our comprehension in terms of the scope of His greatness. Now, how in the world is it possible for us to think that we could approach that God or that God could approach us and say, will you let me save you? Will you let me do something for you? God doesn't have to be asked to do anything. You see, you don't have to ask God to do that because He's God. He's bigger than anything that we can comprehend. Turn over to the book of Daniel and we read some more language in the Word of God about how big our God is. And this is the God that you want to believe in, embrace, and serve. And regardless of what you hear out there or what's written or said on the radio out there across the airwaves, anything that conflicts with how big God is and how powerful He is is just not the truth. Okay? In Daniel, the fourth chapter, we have... By the way, the first thing I gave you there from the book of Isaiah was a, an Israelite. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, prophesying in the days that the nation of Israel existed. So what we look at here in the book of Daniel is a Gentile, a non-Jew, a non-Israelite. And this man was the greatest man on the face of the earth from a natural standpoint at this point. It's Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel, the fourth chapter, we find that Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. And he doesn't understand what that dream is. And so he gathers all of his magicians and astrologers and wise men in his kingdom there in the days of Babylon. By the way, this is when Israel has gone into captivity. And one of the men that's in captivity there in Babylon is a fellow named Daniel. And so Nebuchadnezzar cannot get his dream interpreted by anyone among his astrologers and magicians and all of these soothsayers and different ones. But he calls upon Daniel. Because Daniel serves the true God, the great God, the big God. Let's begin reading in Daniel 4 and verse 24. He tells the king the interpretation of the dream. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. So the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was a foretelling of a decree of God upon the greatest king in the world, the most powerful man in the world at that time. Everywhere you went in those days, in the civilized world in those days, was ruled by Babylon at this point. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. 
Notice in verse 25, the dream Nebuchadnezzar has. He says, They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. That's big God theology right there. God's telling the most powerful leader on the face of the earth that I rule over you. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree, this is from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he's the tree in the dream, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel says, King, just repent of all the sin that you're committing, and this will be staved off for a while. It'll push this off for a while. And old Nebuchadnezzar and his pride was able to make it how long? One year. <laughs> and this came upon the king, Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon and he forgot what Daniel had told him about this judgment, this decree of the Most High God that is coming upon him. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up in pride and Nebuchadnezzar was thinking that everything he had there in the kingdom was a result of his doing. But the Lord had blessed Nebuchadnezzar to rise to power. Here's more big God theology for you. Nebuchadnezzar did some horrible things. God did not approve of those horrible things. But Nebuchadnezzar was allowed and permitted by God to become the most powerful leader on the face of the earth. He was allowed to do that. You say, well, why? Because God was judging his nation. And God permitted this Gentile king to rise to power and, and let that king know that he rose to power because God allowed him to. Because he's the king over all kings and dictators. And Nebuchadnezzar forgot that. You know, it is, it is recorded in the Word of God that when Nebuchadnezzar's army came to Jerusalem for the final stroke... <laughs> For the last blow, God permitted the nation of Babylon to rise and come to power. And God permitted Nebuchadnezzar to be used in his army like a whip against his own people because they had been so bad. Don't ever forget, God is a loving God. He's our father, yes, but he's also a father that knows how to deal in discipline with his children. He disciplined his children by wiping out his own nation. And the mechanism that God permitted to be used was the army of Nebuchadnezzar, who he allowed to rise to power. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? God did not approve of any of the atrocities or any of the things that Nebuchadnezzar's army did. God did not approve of anything that exceeded the purpose for which God allowed them to rise up, which was destroy his nation. But you on that one for a while. Because God cannot and will not deal with sin. And it is recorded in the Word of God that whenever Nebuchadnezzar's army got to Jerusalem, the general that was in charge of the army was looking for a man. And you know who that man was? That man was Jeremiah, who'd been prophesying for 40 years or more. Destruction's coming. You might as well give up. What a vindication that was for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was sought out. And when the, when the captain of the guard, whenever the general found Jeremiah, he said, 
Our king has commanded us to tell you, you can go wherever you want to go. You want to go with your people to Babylon? You want to stay here? Wherever you want to go, you got, uh, your ticket is punched. You can go wherever you want to go. <laughs> you know where Jeremiah stayed? He stayed right there in the land with the people. And they still wouldn't listen to him as he continued to preach. <laughs> That's our nature. You say, don't sit there and say, well, I would have listened. We'd have been just like the rest of them. Because we're sinners too. And so this is Nebuchadnezzar who has been permitted to come to power because of the mercy of God. And 12 months goes by. Nebuchadnezzar forgets what Daniel said about the dream. And as he's walking through the palace in the kingdom of Babylon, perhaps he's walking through the, the hanging gardens, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Verse 30, the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. Sounds very grandiose, doesn't it? You know, Nebuchadnezzar is thinking that he's the big man now. And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour, in that very hour when Nebuchadnezzar spoke those words, it was fulfilled upon him. He was driven from men, and he ate grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like bird claws." He was a pretty sight. Now there's been debate through the years over what that seven times means. Some say, well, it was seven days. It wasn't seven days. Some say, well, it was seven months. It wasn't seven months. Some say, well, it was seven years. It was seven years. You say, how do we know that? Because it says that his heart would be turned into the heart of a beast. Nebuchadnezzar said that if you'll read back. And his hair would grow out. I did a little research. Do you know how long it takes for hair to grow out six inches per year is about the rate at which hair grows if you've seen somebody that you know that just let themselves go for a long time for years maybe you've seen a movie or something where time passed you know and the the person's beard or hair has grown because they don't have a way to cut their hair and if you figure that over seven years your hair would grow out about 42 inches and this is how bad Nebuchadnezzar looked he looked like a monster. He looked like an animal. It's going to take longer than seven days or seven months for your hair to grow out like this. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar has lost his kingdom. For seven years, his hair has grown. For seven years, he's got fingernails that have not been cut for seven years. Can you imagine? I had this lady come into the office one time or come into court one time. And I'm telling you, I mean, she had her fingernails wrapped around a couple times and I thought what's going on here you know, I mean this is just odd <laughs> I was too scared to ask her why she let her fingernails grow like that but if you let your fingernails go and grow I mean they just start curling around as they get longer and longer and that's Nebuchadnezzar picture him out there he's got hair all over his body coming out of his face coming out of his head and he's crawling around on the ground and he's eating grass don't ask me how he stayed alive but at least we know the Lord kept him alive you know, maybe the protein he was getting from the grass was helping his hair and his fingernails to grow. I don't know. But he is a pitiful picture. And this is the judgment of your big God upon a man who thought he was like God. 
See? It, she says, no return. I mean, this man has gone insane. He has lost his mind. And he has the mind and the heart of a beast. And this is what God did to him to prove to him who was God. And in verse 34, you think he's gone. There's no way he'll get his kingdom back. There's no way he'll return to the status that he was once at. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. Can you picture? Better than any Hollywood movie could ever come up with. I could just see that man down on all fours. Maybe he's got a clump of grass in his mouth that he's chewing, and he looks up to heaven, and he goes, Oh, oh, now I'm a primitive Baptist. Now I believe in a big God. Now, I believe in big God theology. God has shown me just what he is. He lifts up his eyes to heaven. His understanding returned unto him. And he says, I bless the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And he goes on and gives one of the most amazing testimonies from the Spirit of God to big God theology. He says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? That is one of the greatest confessions in the Old Testament of how big our God is. He said no one can stay his hand. There's nobody that has a little heart here that's that's depraved in sin that can say, don't come in, Lord. I'm not going to allow you because our God can do as he pleases. And that's exactly what he does. When it comes to your salvation, when it comes to the things that he does in the world, when it comes to things that we can't even comprehend that he's doing, he is over all and he super rules and overrules all. So if you get caught and sucked into the things of the political world today and you think how pitiful it is, and yeah, it's pitiful. vitriolic and anger and all of the stuff that's being cast around and, and you don't know what's true, you don't know what's, what's the truth or what's not the truth. Don't forget that your God reigns over all of that. He doesn't approve of any of the wickedness that goes on, but He super rules over that. And if He wants a Nebuchadnezzar out of the grass in the field acting like a beast and he wants him back on the throne you know what our God in heaven has the power and the ability and none can stay his hand and he'll put him back up on the throne this does not mean that God puts every man or woman on the throne that they sit on it does not mean that God put Hitler on the throne but I want you to know that there's a grave that testifies that God is more powerful than Hitler (laughs) You see, where is he today? He's dead. He took his own life. Where is Nero that burned the Christians in the gardens? He's dead. Where are the rulers of this world? Where's Nebuchadnezzar? His bones are dust somewhere. You see, that puts us in our place and it puts God in his place where he is on his throne. That's your big God. He can come into the heart of a child of God. He can spread out the heavens with a span like He did. He can measure the waters of the earth in the hollow of His hand. He is so powerful, none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? And Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on the face of the earth, learned this. Now I know some of you are probably sitting there thinking, Boy, I wish He'd do that to some of the leaders out there today. (laughs) I do too. You know, I don't know why He doesn't, but I know that He can. You see? I can't tell you why he doesn't bring that kind of reason to the insanity that's out there in the, in the, in the uh, empires and nations of the world today. 
But I'm going to tell you, if he doesn't do it while you're here in this world or while I'm here in this world, I'm telling you, he's going to do it one day when he comes back. He's going to bring reason and understanding and truth to every situation that's ever existed. So why don't you and I go ahead and plug into that now, to that type of God, believing in a big God. Look over in the New Testament, the book of John, the 10th chapter. There are many places in the New Testament where God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, shares big God theology. And I'm going to tell you what now, it ruffles a few feathers whenever he does that. And if you believe in anything other than a big God that's taught in the Word of God, it may ruffle a few feathers. And that's exactly what God intended for it to do. So that we wouldn't have to be cast out like Nebuchadnezzar was and eat grass for seven years. You don't want that. So it's a lot simpler to just go ahead and plug in and believe that what God says about Himself is true. Think about it. I haven't told you what I think about God. God has told you what God thinks and understands about Himself. You see? John the 10th chapter. Jesus is dealing with some real hard-headed people and some hard-hearted people, some very wicked people. Many of these that He is speaking to are not even His children. They're hard-hearted and they're dead in their sins. And there are some there that are His children. Look at John the 10th chapter and let's look at verse 17. Notice what He says as He concludes His talking here to these, some of these hard-hearted and hard-headed people. Jesus says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And there was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he has a devil. He's mad. He's insane. And others said, these are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? You see the kind of effect that big God theology had on the people that were listening to him? Some people said, it can't be that way. He can't be that powerful. And others said, I don't know now. We've seen him open the eyes of the blind. We've seen him heal the leper. We've seen him do these things. So there's got to be something to him. And there was a division, and they began to argue among themselves. Let us never argue over big God theology. Let's just embrace it. And notice what he said. This is God in the flesh. And God in the flesh says, I have the power to lay my life down and expel life from my own immortal body. And I have the power to take it up again. That is power that we cannot fully conceive of. There's nobody under the sound of my voice that has the power to dismiss their life from their body. You say, well, what about someone that, that takes their own life or commits suicide? That's not what he's talking about right there. That is, that's an involuntary removal of life. You see, Jesus is saying, I have the power to lay my life down and tell my life to leave my body. And I also have the power to bring my life back in that body again. That's power beyond comprehension. Power beyond comprehension. Look at John the 6th chapter. Big God theology. It ruffles feathers. But we should embrace it. John the 6th chapter in the bread of life sermon where Jesus is preaching about him being the bread of life in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. 
They've been questioning him. Who are you? Where do you, you, know, where do you come from? Are you really where, who you say you are? He says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. See, there were those among them there that were not his children. And there were also some of his children there that were doubting him. And then Jesus says, big God theology. It just can't get any bigger than this. You say, well, it's amazing that he rules and super rules over the nations of the earth. There's something greater than the nations of the earth. And it's the family of God. The family of God that will be in heaven with him one day, all complete, no one missing. That's a bigger deal than the nations of the earth. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's big God theology. Every single child of grace that the Father gave to the Son shall come to the Son. Because they make a choice for Him or because they let this big God in their heart or they make say some kind of prayer or baptized or whatever? No. A thousand times no. They come to Him because He brings them to Him. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. How many of the family of God will be lost? None. Now watch. But should raise it up again at the last day. You know, Jesus just, he just went from that point in time, looking all the way down to the last day, which I hope is today. Maybe it's tomorrow. I don't know when it is, but I hope it's soon. But he said, I will raise up these that are given to me at the last day and they will be with me in their body, in, in their resurrected bodies forever. That's a glorious thought. That's big God theology. You see, big God theology doesn't depend on a, a little old puny preacher like me. It doesn't depend on someone to get the job done. It gives all glory to God in heaven who will get the job done. See? If it's talking about who He wants to be on a throne or the ruler of a nation, or if it's talking about your salvation, our big God will make sure that it gets done. And there were some repercussions from this type of teaching. Over there in verse 66, from that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because he presented to them big God theology. He said, I am the answer. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody goes to heaven but through me, and I'm the one that accomplishes that and does that. They walked away from him. And Jesus looked to the disciples and he said, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered and said, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. I hope that's the way we react to this big God theology. Let me give you one more place as we close our thoughts here over the book of Romans, which Brother Luke has already so wonderfully laid out for us. A couple chapters before you get to Romans 10. Can't understand Romans 10, as Brother Luke said, until you get through the other nine chapters. And in Romans the 8th chapter... This is some of the biggest theology that you'll ever see in the Word of God. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Our God is so big that He speaks in past tense of that glorification which is coming one day when He comes back. He knows it's as good as done because He's so big. 
I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the appointments that I have tomorrow. You know, I might fall and break my leg. I might get sick and not be able to go. I have all of these weaknesses that will prevent me from doing things that I say I'm going to do. But God is so great that He can call it as though it's already done when it hasn't even happened yet. That's how great your God is. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Child of grace, I'm just telling you. Hear me now, believe me now, hear me now, believe me later. (laughs) You can't hear about this big God theology practically anywhere out in the world today. In one sense, the little God that is spoken of out in the religious world has diminished in the minds of God's people just how great God is. We don't want to diminish how great God is. We want to continue to cling to big God theology and continue to recognize there's just not that many places that you can hear about this type of God. But it's the truth. So if your mind wanders and your heart wanders and you think, well, it looks so much, the grass looks a little greener over there, or the grass looks a little greener over in this particular area or this particular place, go to the place where you hear about big God theology. Go to the place where God is magnified and you see something that diminishes who you are, but it lifts up greatly who He is. These should be comforting words to a child of grace who recognizes themselves as as a sinner. You know, over there in the book of Isaiah, he said, Behold thy God. Don't forget that he said he's a shepherd that gathers his sheep in his arms. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All of the sheep of God will be gathered in the arms of God and He'll take them in bodily form to heaven one day. That is big God theology. Don't be satisfied with anything less than how great your God is. If you believe that and you haven't made a profession, then we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.